first, we need to congratulate ourselves for making it through one year of Humanize. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being our friend. <laughs> Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome back to another episode of Humanize. Today we are debriefing and doing a deeper dive exploration of Patricia Raybon's episode, Uncovering Suppressed History. And we're going to kind of set you up for that conversation. I can't believe how rich that conversation was with her. If you, you might want to listen to that first, but Courtney and I are first, we need to congratulate ourselves for making it through one year of Humanize. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being our friend. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I, you know, Courtney, I was thinking it might be nice to just take a moment and reflect on, you know, what we've learned through this past year. I mean, we've really been working together for about a year and a half because we didn't release an episode until maybe six months after we started to play around with recording (laughs) in my driveway in the height of covid yeah what have you learned oh a lot first off there are some crazy white people that want to work with me so i appreciate (laughs) (laughs) as in me (laughs) yes 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 you um also man like this work is tiring um rewarding exhausting, exhilarating. Like it's it's so amazing to be pushing the envelope and pushing this work forward and doing whatever we can to elevate a voice because we just a voice and hopefully it's combining with other voices or having this platform to unite with other voices we can make some true change towards dismantling a system of oppression. Um, and so I, I feel truly, truly, truly blessed, man. Like mm-hmm. more than anything. Yeah, I I wanted to express gratitude as well. So I made a social media post saying like, "Hey, it was, you know, the thirtieth was our our one year anniversary, and we you know made it through lockdown and um, forest fires." And and what I failed to put in there, and I just really want to acknowledge, is just how many murders of black men and women we have made it through together and kind of reflected in the morning afterwards and as trials have unfolded just yeah. how many have occurred in one year and i just wanted to um thank you for continuing to be in dialogue with me through that um and i don't know it's going to sound weird but like it feels like just being so honest with your experiences helps me continue to stay connected when the temptation is to dissociate because it's so horrible. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, for thank that. you. I mean, thank you. And in terms of what I've learned, I feel like when I think of this last year, probably one of the biggest transformations was leading out of Courtney Napier's episode of White Supremacy Fucks Us All and really just exploring the ways that oppressive culture 
is affecting everyone. And um, there's such nuance to that. I have, I still have episode hangover from the Rittenhouse episode because we kind of were like naming that he was also a victim of white supremacy and the way that he's becoming a pawn. And, and it, this is the and of like, and he's a perpetrator and someone who's, who's, you know, he knew what he was doing going into yeah. a conflict situation with a gun and he's benefiting from white supremacy as well. And so you can't reduce it to anything simple, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a both and situation, which is what critical race theory teaches us so well. But yeah, I think that was, that's probably, I mean, all of it, I feel like it's just been a learning journey. I love all of our guests. Yeah. I mean, I, I will also say quickly that I'm, um, I always love representation, and this is why I do what I do, because I know what I represent for the people that I represent for. I appreciate and admire your representation, because you represent individuals who may want to do the work but are fearful, don't know where, don't know where to start, but have something to say, may have questions but don't want to offend, you know? And so you represent a sect of our population who actually wants to do DEI work, but like, uh, let me not like overturn the cart with a question that could offend further in a culture that is full of cancel. Like your ability to be like courageous and 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 willing to sit in a comfortableness, either if it's me and you together or with the with a guest. Like you, I see your brain. You're like, I have so many questions right now, but we only have an hour, you know? And so like that, that is very powerful to me to see. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's uh, well, it's just an honor just to, to stay so connected with this work every week and feel like we're, we're doing something. Now we're out there giving webinars and talks. And yeah. It's exciting. That's crazy. Oh, one year. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about Patricia's episode here. So. Mm -hmm. For folks who didn't catch that episode, Patricia is an award-winning author. She writes a lot of different uh, fiction, novels, and essays, um, really looking at the intersection of faith and race. And her book, it was her book that drew, drew us to her originally, My First White Friend, her racial forgiveness memoir, which won an award. And that was interesting to explore with her a tiny bit. But the book that she put out recently is All That Is Secret. Mm -hmm. um, and why we kind of wanted to explore that with her on this episode is because the thread that she brings forth, which I'll have her explain here in a second, is regarding the Ku Klux Klan in Colorado. So let's hear what she had to say about this. I also knew that a good story needs a threat. You know, that's a story element that any good... Um, novel or movie or that kind of thing operates well but you know if if the engine is driven in part by a good threat and so the, the, the clan represented that in a very natural way because that's what happened in colorado colorado um, i don't know if we talked about this before but colorado had the second highest clan membership per capita of any state in the country in the early 1920s. A third of white Protestant men in Colorado were dues-paying Klan members. Leadership in Colorado from the governor on down, you know, the state legislature, police chiefs, jury commissioners, sheriffs, 
departments. Entire in Denver, not only was the police chief a member of the Klan, entire divisions of the police department were Klan members. And so, for the purposes of writing a novel, that's a pretty good threat to help hover, you know, around the edges and around the background of the story. So, I didn't have to make that up. It already happened here. So, Courtney, as I listened to this the other day, you know, and we know that the the rise and fall of the Ku Klux Klan as a f- very formal entity was in the the beginnings of the 1920s here in Colorado. That was 100 years ago. Here's my question for us to sit with. Like, what does 100 years ago mean for us today? When we think about history and our lives being informed by history, what does that what does that mean for you as someone who's living in Colorado? Such a great question. I think 100 years ago, it's an arbitrary timeline. It's uh, because it had... When people say it's a hundred years ago, we should get over it. It's as if we should get over it now because it's no longer it's no longer happening. And so, with it being a hundred years ago, to me, is saying now it's just a hundred years old and it's still living and it's still strong. If we're talking about white supremacy, it's been exercising. It's on steroids. It's like it's it may be stronger than ever. You know the thing about slavery and all of the oppression back in the day, it was very overt. It was like, hey, fuck you, person of color. Take it. Now, to me, it's more insidious and more dangerous because we've accepted it. People of color have accepted the fact that, hey, this is how we live. We got to survive like this. It's not going to stop. I hear it all the time. Like, Courtney, why are you doing this? It's not going to stop. Why do you think like you're going to be the black man to represent this? Look at the Martin, look at the Malcolm, look at all the other white people too that tried to fight for change and they they died. Why do you think? Right. It's been so long. It's a hundred years ago. And I always say, white supremacy, and we always say this again, is allowed and able to become stronger because of its audacity. The audacity of it to say, you know what? No matter what happens, we're gonna stand true to what we believe in, wrong or right, making um, compromises, making sure that we stay in power. Sometimes we may have to sacrifice our own, but at the end of the day, we're, we're not going nowhere. And so, so like until we have that kind of ferocious audacity, I think the fear and the safety, ironically, of comp- like staying and this white supremacist system will continue and be perpetuated for, for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to kind of imagine how it's going to resolve, how it's going to, how we're going to make it through. Yeah. And I just thinking about this, like hundred years ago and the importance of teaching history and really, well, so like, I'm trying to feel into like my memories and my consciousness through my education and, so World War One and World War Two around these times, right? And learning about the Holocaust is in the, you know, that's in the 40s. We're taught about that a lot. So it's kind of top of mind for that era. But I think of the KKK as kind of like this, when were they? When exactly were they? Like, it's just not taught that much. So it informs my thinking a lot less. It's much easier for me to kind of skip over it than 
Well, like I, I mean, I honestly kind of think of it as like I associate it with the South, you know, and not mm-hmm. with yeah. Colorado. And yeah. so that that suppression of that time by just speaking about it less than, let's say, the World Wars makes me think like it's a less important thing, like it had less impact. Mm-hmm. And like, I, you know, yeah, maybe it was a quick rise and fall. I even had that, you know, that thought when I was we were talking to her it's like oh they they rose and fall within five or ten years and yeah it's very disturbing to think of suppressed histories and it's definitely disturbing in the context of the current school debates around critical race theory and what do we learn and not learn and she said towards the end of the episode when we suppress history we lose the ability to look at every aspect of a movement like someone walking around in your world with no information. Mm -hmm. So when we give talks and when we we're interacting with people, I think something that comes up a lot is like, you know, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to offend someone. I don't want to, you know, feel uncomfortable if I've offended someone. And I just wonder if, if history is uncovered more, if we have more race consciousness, if we're more in tuned with what's going on, if that discomfort wouldn't be less, You know, like if I'm really in contact with what a population has gone through, let's say if I am really tuning in to the history of colonization and displacement of Native Americans in Colorado, and I am speaking with a Native American and I have a misstep and say something that's offensive and I'm corrected, I feel like it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Like we really are holding a lot of history there. So of course I'm going to make a misstep Mm -hmm. rather than like, I feel like I know everything and everybody's equal now because we have the same history and it's all equal. Then the discomfort with making Mm -hmm. a mistake is going to be greater because then you just take it personally as opposed to taking it in the context of history. Tell me I'm making sense. I don't even know if I'm. (laughs) No, you are. You are making sense. Okay. That's what's on my mind as I think of the, suppressed history and the effect that it has on us on a daily basis. So in the, the context of critical race theory, I think that is why it's very dangerous not to talk about history. Because everyone always says, if you don't talk honestly about history, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And I think individuals know that it will be repeated if individuals know how egregious like the shit that was done in history to people of color. Like, and so, however, that doesn't make white people villains because white people did this to people of color. That's the thing. Like, if a black man went and 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 did a crime, that doesn't make all black men guilty of a crime. Like, we're not a sum total of one person. No one is. And so, at the end of the day, when we talk about the KKK, not all white people were a part of the KKK. When we talk about freedom fighters, not all black people were freedom fighters. Like not uh, not all black people want to even engage in this conversation about critical race theory or white supremacy. Again, like it, it's it, the the monolithic culture that we live in is like if you represent this, you represent that for all of the people that look like you. Mm-hmm. And we try to simplify even DEI work, race, culture. Like we try to simplify that all when we do in the census. If 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 you are not in this box, 
like you have to check something yeah. in this box or it like defaults to white the defaults yeah. defaults to white so that's so like the simplification like white supremacy makes everything simple either you're white and you experience life in this way or you're other and you experience life in this way deal with it that is what that is what god wanted god wanted you to be a slave appreciate that we gave you jobs we made you guys not animals i just appreciate that it's a simple way of being so just understand like you're be, you're you living in this world in the us just appreciate your plight and live with it now i will go over here with my white family and make sure that we're good while you take care of us you know and so it, it it's just the reality and so uh, until we change a narrative because if you're white like and you never really like worked to get to start to rethink certain things why would you not look at a black man and be like oh my god you look scary like it's safer everyone you're around is is perpetuating that same bullshit you're in a, in a in a community that's protecting you you feel safe with conversations you can say what you want and then you don't have to really push thought that's a safe comfortable like culture to live in why would why would you want to change that mm-hmm. you know and so yeah you know we were reflecting on the our year together at the beginning of this episode and what i'm grateful for but it's also deeply disturbing is I'm grateful to have this focus on a weekly basis to understand mm-hmm. the yeah. black experience, to understand more nuance of so many different experiences of our guests that are brought in and our ability to kind of explore that. Yeah. But that's something that I'm like, I'm consciously choosing to bring into my life because I know that there was a gap there. And because I'm consciously choosing that, it's changing my thinking, it's changing my understanding of what's going on. But I think of myself as, you know, like, why is this not coming from my schooling? Why does this have to be something that I'm like consciously choosing to focus on? And it's, I, I see as well that like, because I'm consciously choosing to focus on it and am evolving my understanding of things, then I, I'm becoming a, a resource for friends. Like they'll text me like, oh my gosh, I have this situation. Or like, can I talk to you really quick? How can I respond? How can I make this better? Which is great. You know, I'm I'm happy to be a resource, but it's disturbing at the same time too, that it would take so so much effort to be able to just think about dignity and liberation and focus on the core pieces that I imagine don't most of us want that for each other? Like, does that, but there's all these shades of white supremacy culture that are uh, uh, layered upon that core goodness, I feel like of us that it's hard to see through it. Yes, there is a level of core goodness that all of us have, but also fear is a very powerful motivator. And when you have a lifestyle that is comfortable, like we said, and it's good, and you're making money, and you're living well, and your family's okay, it's very tempting to to not really push an envelope that could disrupt that. You know, you said you you said something earlier that. Um, like it's disturbing that in education you weren't told or you weren't taught certain things but all these systems that we speak on education being one healthcare being one 
financing being one, housing being one, all have a singular goal to uphold individuals in a certain light so that we can be branded as a, as a country that is the most powerful. And it took a lot of effort to do that. It, it, just like it's going to take a lot of effort to dismantle that, it took a lot of effort. We had to go get people from another country, another continent, to create what we have today. Right, right. Like, that's it. Just think about how much work it took to, to make America. Like that, to me, that's phenomenal. Not phenomenal that it was so much bloodshed, but that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. And to like move through the states, like building trust with the Native Americans and then displacing them and, and not displacing this, oh. them and then killing a lot of them, sending them away. And like, yes. that took a lot of work. Yeah, you're right. So how are we going to uh, dismantle that system that had a head start? We're like gonna, it had already? Yeah, it's, it has quite a head start. And it's quite here. This Patricia has a quote about this, about hate groups. So let's listen to that. The story of it really is about how quickly a homegrown hate group can establish itself and take off. And of course, you know, you have to this for context. This was after World War One. And so people all over the country were pulling inward, but also defining who belongs here. And so what the people, when the Klan took hold, what they declared is that not everybody belongs here. Only people who are white and Protestant and American born are, you know, get that okay. And everybody else is a threat and a danger. And so they targeted uh, Jews and Catholics and Blacks and immigrants. So I feel like this is a way <laughs> that this this historical rise and fall of the KKK is is so relatable in terms of hate trying to establish who belongs here. Like that is something that I think most of our listeners could agree is a very alive debate today between, you know, a friend of mine sent me yesterday, there's a, a community in Vail trying to, you know, find families to help support um, Afghan refugees coming in. And on this like next door yeah. thread, you know, another person was like, well, just make sure that they're vetted, that they don't, they're not rapists and they're not murderers. And, you know, there's been a, a, a rape and a murder and they're illegal and they're unvetted. And I mean, first of all, illegal, it's not, a human can't be illegal. A refugee is not illegal. And <laughs> is very is not an easy status to to get. So this yeah. like who yeah. belongs here? This question is very alive, just in a different, slightly different form, and it's still related to hate. Yeah, it, it's hilarious. Like we don't belong here yeah. unless you're <laughs> a Native you American. Are. Like <laughs> that's like me coming to your house and kicking you and your family out and say this is now my house. You would look at me like, what the hell are you talking about? That is jarring as hell. Like, I don't understand that. Like, when people say, yeah, people try to take over our country. Bro, what are you talking about? We did that already. We took over a country. And so, I, it's, it's... I mean, that's yeah. interesting because you often talk about how you, like, this fear of white people that there's going to be retribution for what they did in slavery. Yeah. But maybe there's also this, like, fear of what they did and, it, you know... 
we did in terms of like huh. kicking people, like taking a country. And now we're worried the country is going to be taken from us. And it's like getting cheated on, right? Like if someone cheats on their spouse to be with you, you know that that person can also cheat on you to no, be that's a huge, with the next yeah, one. That's right. Else, yes. That's a possibility. Yes. You know, it can happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, see, the thing about love and hate, they're almost the same. What do you mean? But the thing about hate is just more attractive to look at, whether you want to admit it or not. Like if you're watching a horror movie, more people are like, oh, my God, that is so nasty. But they're looking at it with one eye open because they can't turn away. It's like looking at a bad accident. That's why when you're traveling and there's an accident, the 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 accident is being looked on by the bystanders and it's holding up traffic because people can't look away. A love movie is sweet. It's nice. It's cool. It's, oh, that's so. But more people want to see the action. And love is not a lot of times not seen as something that's action. Like it's like it's nice it's calm it's pretty but people want to see the action though and hate gives and like what i see like hate gives more of the action feeling it gets your blood pumping it's more addictive and i want with the work that i'm doing try to show that you can get the same passion and the same motivation mm -hmm. from love it's just like you have to do it in a very fearless way i like to love fearlessly when it's time to show up in love Yo, what do you mean? COVID is a pandemic. We can't go nowhere. Everybody got to stay inside. Da, da, da. I don't know. I can't do that. During the heart of the pandemic, we were in Selma, Alabama. Because we don't have, like, love has to be fearless in order for us to start to show this. You know, like, I can't be locked down and thank God that I've never got COVID. You know what I mean? Like, not saying I can't. I'm going to be safe. However, for me, safety looks like preparing myself in such a way to fight. And once I've done that, I'm taking a risk because, Emily, you're worth that risk. Your family's worth the risk. Other families are worth the risk. And so me as a, a, a civil activist that happens to be Black living in America, I have chosen to fight for all and show love fearlessly so that individuals can see Oh, it can evoke the same emotions that hate can evoke. Like, because the KKK, bro, when they hate, they hate. They don't, they don't, it's unapologetic. They don't like, look, look, black man, you're smart. We can give you this. But because you're black, I hate you. And you feel that. I want to balance that same kind of visceral hate with visceral love. I yeah, that's it. it <laughs> yeah, I'm crazy, Emily. You know, I told you, I told you. <laughs> okay, so my honest reaction to that is like that just feels really far away from me. That feels like a, a world that's very far away from me. And I think of it from the neurobiology perspective of the fear circuitry of the brain is intensely powerful and it's there for survival. The love circuitry of the brain and the higher executive functions, that's kind of like the cherry on top for the human evolution, right? <laughs> and um, the fear circuitry, it, it compels us. We get it reinforced all the time. The neuropathways are there through media, through everything that we watch, you know, people who play video games with violence, like it's just reinforcing the fear circuitry. But what is going to reinforce that 
that love circuitry. And that's where positive psychology comes in, which is something that my friends and I typically struggle with. It's like, no, I'm not going to sit around and focus on positivity if that's not what I'm feeling. Like that just feels, that feels yeah. manipulative. Or I don't even know. I just feel kind of like triggered by <laughs> positive psychology, <laughs> even though I know, I know what focusing on gratitude and can do for the brain and can do for the brain's function. But well, I guess I just really admire that, that you can focus on a, a focus of love because I feel really brought down by fear. See, the thing about it, when I speak of that, I get very fearful too. You know, it's just that I guess just my experiences in life have taught me that there's another side to fear. Because if I'm still alive today, that means that fear cannot win. Because I could have succumbed to fear and just let, you know what, fuck it, this is my reality. I'm going to kill myself, or I'm just going to be nothing, or I'm just going to live in a community and die in a community that I come from. Like, I could have done that. But once you push through that brick wall of fear, it's always more beautiful on the other side. That is what I've seen. And that is what I can speak on, honestly, from my lived experience. Can you tell a story about that? I mean, let's, let's, let's go to the car. Let's go to the car. You know, I'm sitting in my car and trying to figure out what I'm, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I'm a homeless doctor. Like that's an oxymoron. Like when you're at that level, you're just assumed to, oh, you have a family who is going to take care of you. You got money, just become a doctor and everything will be okay. I'm living a reality where I can't eat, but I got to perform at a high level the next day. That is fearful. Like, you know what I mean? But I said, and whether you pray to God, whether you pray, whether you believe in the universe, whatever it is, I prayed to God that night, like, God, please allow me to figure out a way to become a doctor because I have nothing mm -hmm. else. I'm sitting in the car at a dumpster, looking out the window at addicts, sex trafficking. And like, it was, a, it's a different, like, it's different. So I had every, and I don't want individuals to say, oh, woe is this. There's many individuals who have gone through that and come on the other side and are very successful today. I am not special. I am an example. I, I am a representative. And as I was there sitting in my car and praying and laughing and doing my crazy thing, like, what the hell am I doing with my life right now? This is crazy. All my Jordans in the backseat. <laughs> You know, white coats in the back. Come on now, that's why you are. That's why I'm telling you, those shoes, those shoes, man. Hey, they they identity. So, yeah, yeah. And so, like, as I'm there, thinking about an exam, thinking about finishing, hopefully, hoping to become a doctor, a doctor. You know, and it's like I can't do this. What the hell was I thinking? I was fearful and I could have stayed right there and just felt and like, be like, you know what? I'm just live what I'm supposed to live. Like a stereotypical black man. It was weird because I had my, my food. I ate my, my, my last meal, just chilling, thinking like, oh, this ain't for me. I fell asleep. Emily, for some reason, I just knocked the hell out. And I said, I, before that, I prayed to God, God, if I make it through the night, please allow me to just change medicine some way. I sacrificed everything I have to medicine, 
to, to do it for us. Because if I looked out, when I say us, I'm looking out at that time at us being addicts and survivors and individuals in the street and them, them concrete and them concrete warriors and, and living in that jungle. And I said, I'm doing it for us. If I make it through the night, I'm doing it for us. And I fell asleep, Emily. I don't know what happened. I just knocked the hell out like somebody drugged me and I fell asleep. When the sun came through the window, I, I, I woke up, I started laughing like, God, you got a sense of humor, y'all. This is crazy. If I didn't live it, I would think this is some kind of bullshit story. And so I get up, I said, stink, because I didn't take a shower. Now, you didn't hear in the story of a shower or a stuff. <laughs> it, was, like, it was not your a feature boy was, the story. Your no. Boy, no, no, your boy was sweating. Your boy was sweating. <laughs> so I go in, put a white coat on, lace up, had a scrubs. I walk into the hospital. Medicine had never looked the same to me again. And that was the day that I will never forget. Every It was like painting. When people were talking, patients were talking, they weren't human. They were like instruments. Like I, I saw, oh, you had this? Damn, that's how the heart is moving. That's what's going on with the lungs. That might be the diagnosis. It's looking like this. Let me help you out in this way, ma'am. Hey, sir, come let me talk. Like it was like a dance I was like doing. Like you were in now. the like beautiful mind experiment, but actually working. Beautiful. Man. <laughs> actually, it that's was amazing. It was kind of psychotic. <laughs> it was psychotic. I, yeah. I felt crazy. Yeah. I felt crazy. You know, like I like I was high and I had like I was high. Got the same high like you would get when you're doing some crazy shit. Like I felt like, what mm -hmm. am I doing? And it just started to come so easy to me. And so like, it, it's just, that showed me right there that when you're fearful, if you stop right there, yeah, you're not, you may not be successful. That likelihood of you not being successful you gotta know that high. outcome. But if you break mm -hmm. through, yeah, if you break through that, oh, bro, you, it's, it's, uh, you don't know yeah. what to expect. And so that's why everything I do now, it's always, but what if it works? People always rely on, what if it doesn't work out? I'm like, mm -hmm. but what if it does mm -hmm. though? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, humanized is a prime example. We were like, what the hell are we doing? What if it doesn't work? This, a, But what if it does though? We can start to make a ripple and like, we still standing. We started from the bottom, now we here. <laughs> You know, so it's just like crazy. And I'm, and, and so that's my little story about the role fear. And I have many of those, like everything I do starts in, well, what right. if it doesn't work? Well, I I mean, there's so many beautiful moments in that story. And I want one that, that jumps out at me is praying to God. And I think this is relevant coming up in Patricia's episode because she does a lot of faith work. And yeah. that is one way to align with love and the higher brain and align with a higher meaning is to is it brings us out of our fear response so it does is not yeah it makes perfect sense to me that that prayer would help you fall asleep because you're not going to fall asleep if you're in a fight or flight response you're going to fall asleep if your yeah. nervous system is calmed and your parasympathetic system is 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 working again and I just, I'm curious about the application of that choice and the example that I was talking about before of like, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to mess, I don't want to mess things up and get it wrong and feel uncomfortable and offend someone. And I'm, that, that's a fearful approach and like to flip it and take the loving approach and to, to consciously decide to choose 
I care about but, this. But what if you get it right, though? Well, that's true. But also, like, you can, you, we all get it wrong, right? Like, you know, you're not going to get it right mm-hmm. all the time. But to instead focus not on the fear of getting it wrong, but the love of the person, right? Is mm-hmm. to, like, how do we, what I care about in this moment is not my ego. But what I care about is this person feeling respected, seen, dignified, liberated. Yes. And in that context, a verbal mistake that I make doesn't chalk up to much. It chalks up to course correct, not doing that again. Agreed. Agreed. Whenever someone or something is valuable to you, you're going to risk messing up. Is the times when you just say, you know what? I don't want to mess up and I'm going to leave it alone. That right there is showing you that what what you're trying to attain isn't that important. If you're working toward the relationship with your family, your kids, you're going to mess up. You're going to say the wrong thing sometimes, but they're your family. So you're going to keep trying. You're not going to say, okay, I messed up one time. You're no longer my kids. If you're trying to get a degree, you may fail a test or two. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have to fail because that's a failure has to happen for you to succeed. If you never fail, you never try. You can't be successful. Yeah. Like Jordan said it, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Like he missed more than he, like he failed a lot. But in order to understand how to win, you have to fail. Right. That's the only way to do it. And so that's that's how I'm set up. Like, if we if if I fail and fail, now I say, okay, cool. I guess I can't do shit that way. And I laugh at myself, like, ooh, I, that was epic. Whew. Next. And then what? Because we only have to get that one time to get it right. I want to put in one more quote of hers because I feel like it's really relevant to what we're talking about now and helps me align with this like love of the people in front of me through the lens of compassion. Yeah. So this is when she's talking about the essential question, which is then written into the book. Her question is, how do I be me in an any ordinary day in a hostile culture? So my intent was to put on the page a young Black theologian, young woman, trying to solve the murder of her father, her estranged father, while living in a hostile culture that has and I'm, I, I believe I came to that because that has been my life challenge how do I be me and even a um, a casual way you know how do I how do I be me on any ordinary day in a hostile culture you know I took my granddaughter to the mall a couple of days ago and we were in a pretty nice store that sells clothes for her age she's a a young teenager but I encountered outright hostility in that store to the extent that my granddaughter said why was the store clerk so mean to you and I thought about it later and I thought That is my experience of being a person of color in a hostile culture. And so that was the experience of my character in this book because that, it hasn't gone away. Her use of this, this word hostile culture was like a 
just like a heartbreak for me. And her, feeling into the story that she told about her granddaughter, just watching her navigate going to the store, you know, and that's strong enough for me to keep in my heart in the moments of being corrected, of like, how do I play a role in this not being a hostile culture? How That is way more important than my ego in this moment. Yeah. And that takes some work because the ego, the fear structures, it's strong. It's super strong. But that was impactful to hear her say those words. Yeah. I mean, like I said, hostility, hate are on the same coin. Love, forgiveness is on the spectrum. And like, it's just we get to pick and choose which one we're going to do. And if we do one from a, a comfortable, because love is not comfortable. That's the misconception. Love takes yeah, love's work. not always happy. Talk to any, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I mean? So like, talk to anyone who's married. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you can love somebody, and in that time, you want to choke the <laughs> shit out of the person you love. You're like, dude, what the hell is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, but you love the hell out of them. You know what I mean? So like kids, when they doing crazy shit, you're like, I love you, but right now I'm about to beat your tail. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's just love. Lo- love is not is 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 branded sometimes as this really weak emotion. When love is more powerful than anything, and hate gets branded as yeah, I'm strong, I'm bloody, I hate. Yeah, let me go. Nah, love is serious. And so I, when we talk about hostility and a host- hostility culture, it has to be met with the kind of love. That is on the, that that shares that energy that hostility shares. Yeah. Well, I think we should stop our conversation on that inspiration. Yeah, you better stop because I can go all day with this thing, man. We wrap it right now. Let's freestyle. Come on. <laughs> That'll be the Come day. On. That's for the year two anniversary. Because I'll start. Oh no, I'm not even gonna say it. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is recorded. Yo, yo. I don't want to be held accountable. Exactly. <laughs> Here, listeners, take call her out. I didn't say year two of human eyes. Year two, we're gonna listen to you rap. <laughs> I'm gonna rap a gift. You be like rap a gift. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, if in this last year you have all appreciated human eyes and are looking for ways to support this work, we do have a Patreon page, uh, patreon.com backslash the human eyes podcast. Really appreciate your support there. All of the funds we raise there go directly to supporting our amazing production team. So it'd be a great way to support us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for just supporting us already with just listening and, and, and showing love on social media. We really appreciate you guys for all you do. Thank, thank you. you so much. Humanize. Peace. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.